through this series, we've been walking through this book of Colossians, written by a man named Paul, who's commonly known as the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote to a a church in a real area called Colossae. And Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. It's a small city surrounded by larger cities. And the largest city up the road is the the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is the, the big city. If you can imagine Perth being the big city. And we know that Bunbury is the center of the universe. But the big city is up the road. And here is a smaller town of Colossae. And Paul, the apostle, had lived for almost three years in Ephesus, started a church and led people to Christ. And people had gone back to their home, back to Colossae, and started a church. And the church was thriving and growing and people's lives were being changed. And they had an incredible reputation. And the first week we looked at the fact that they had a reputation. He says, I don't know you, but I've heard about you. And he says, I've heard about your faith in Christ. I've heard about your love for others. And I've also heard the fact that you are now living out your faith in hope, not just for today, but for all eternity in heaven. And you have a a love and a faith and a hope. But he says, and he moved on from that. And he says his response, that was the second week. His response was, whenever I think about you, I turn to God in prayer. And we can learn a lot about how to interact with others. When we, God brings someone to our mind to responding with prayer. And he says, I'm praying that you will grow in your knowledge and in your wisdom of the things of God because we live in a very dark world. And he was giving a warning to this church. And we can see that our application for ourselves. And then he moved on to last week and then this week. He says, let me remind you about what is true. And what we're going to be speaking of today, to be honest with you, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard this before. But we need to be constantly reminded of what is true to the point where we don't have to think and go, what was that verse again? We know it because we've been rehearsing it. And when those difficult and those dark temptations come that every single one of us faces, we want to be able to respond with truth. So we need to be constantly rehearsing and reminding ourselves of what is true. Last week we looked at the fact that we are a new creation. In fact, our principle is this. Same as last week. Our principle is in Christ And through Christ, I am a new creation. You have been made new in and through Jesus Christ. So last week we looked at the fact that we were made new in Christ because Jesus paid it all. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. And now we have a new life. We are a new creation. This week, we're going to be looking at the fact that we are a new creation because Jesus paid it all, and now Jesus made it all. It just rhymes, it just works. And now the Apostle Paul, in this writing in Colossians chapter number 1, he reminded them last week that Jesus paid it all, and he talks about the wonderful salvation that we enjoy, and the fact that we need that as a foundation in order to grow and to move forward. And he says, let me also remind you that Jesus also made it all. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Do you have your Bibles? Colossians chapter number 1. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. But before we get there, 
I want to point out one very simple little word. And I'm by no means a Greek scholar or even I, I barely passed Greek in college. I did pass. But I want to point out one little word to you as you're going to see through this passage as we read verses 15 through 20. It's the word that's probably translated in your Bible as all. To expand your word power, it is the Greek word pas. It's a very common word. It's the word all. And it's used 1,245 times in the New Testament. And it's translated, as it says on the screen, all, any, every, the whole, And in verse number 18 in this passage, it's translated as everything. And do you know what it literally means? All. When it says here about Jesus and being all, it means all. It doesn't mean sort of or just a little bit of. It's literally saying Jesus is all. So as we read through this, you're going to notice in this passage eight different times where this Greek word pas is translated either all and in verse number 18, one time it's translated as everything. And I want you to notice that as we read through this, because this right here will help us understand the impact of what the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage these people who are struggling at this time. They were going through some difficulties And they were going through some temptations to go back and to turn away from the things that they knew were true because it sounds so much easier just to follow what the world says. And they had the temptation to forget that Jesus had made it all. Let me read verse number 15 through 20. You'll follow along. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen for you to follow as well. It says this, he is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This church in Colossae was in modern-day Turkey, but they had an Israelites that had, had been had moved into that area in the church. So they had a temptation to return to the law and to follow the law. You imagine you've lived generationally a certain way. You've grown up, and everything that you've been taught is foundationally based upon Greek philosophy. So that's what you've been taught your whole life. So your natural way of thinking is the Greek way of thinking. And in the Greek way of thinking, and this is what this Apostle Paul was addressing here, there was a philosophy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism literally means to know. And a person that's called an agnostic is a person that does not know whether or not there is a God. But a person that is a Gnostic knows but they have a different way of interpreting the world. 
And this knowledge became very self-centered. And it became humanistic in its, in its philosophy. So that everything was through us and the way that I see the world. And the way that I interpret things. And the way I interpret things becomes truth because I know. And your knowledge can be good for you, but my knowledge is good for me. And one of the philosophies that they, they were addressing here was the fact that all things that are matter, all things that are, that are tangible, are ultimately evil. So they came through that Greek philosophy and they began thinking through, well, if Jesus is God, there's no way that Jesus could be fully man and fully God because matter is evil. So therefore, Jesus, there's no way that he could really have come to earth. He must have spiritually come somehow or there must be some other way because there's no way this could have happened. So that's why he's writing this here. That's why he's so emphatically writing the word all, 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 all the way through because he was addressing this. You see, if you have the philosophy that all matter is evil, there's two different ways and two different extremes that you can go. You can go to the extreme of saying that I'm going to avoid all forms of physical pleasure because anything that's pleasurable is actually evil. Or you can go to the other extreme and saying, well, everything's evil anyway. I might as well go and enjoy it. And that's the, the, the disconnect within this church. Could you imagine trying to teach what is true and people going, well, I'm going to try to interpret that as being we can't do anything fun or anything enjoyable. And then the same crowd, there's people that says, fantastic, we can go out and do whatever we want to now. That's the disconnect and some of the things that are splitting this church. So when the Apostle Paul is writing here, he's not saying in our lives we're to enslave everything of our bodies or we're supposed to totally go out and enjoy everything of our bodies. He's reminding them of what is true, that you are new creations in Christ. You've been made new. The old ways of philosophy, those are not the ways we're to follow. And he reminds them about Jesus paid it all through our salvation, uh, his death on the cross. But he also reminds them of Jesus made it all. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's jump straight into these verses. I have two main points this morning, and they both have the final answer of Jesus. Because, you know, if you're ever in church and you don't know what the answer is, just say Jesus and there's a good chance the answer will be correct. And that's what we find here. So our first point this morning is the God is Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I want you to find two words there, the word image and the word firstborn. The word image is a word that literally means an exact representation of. That verse is saying Jesus is the exact representation of or revelation of God. That's a big statement he's making there. Because it goes on and it says he's the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation is not talking about firstborn as in first actually born. It literally means he's the first in order. He's the, the first in status or first of importance. The book of John, chapter number one, 
If you're you're new to reading your Bible, I would encourage you to read the book of John. And as you read through that, the purpose of the book of John is to prove and to show that Jesus is God. And in John chapter number one, verse number one, it says, In the beginning was the Word. If you notice on the screen, the word is capitalized because it's literally talking about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. As we continue through this passage, we're going to make some we can see some parallels between John chapter number one and also Colossians chapter number one. And what we're going to see here, let's go to verse number 16, the next verse down. And we're going to see that Jesus is creator. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So he's listing off. He's a creator of absolutely everything. And he goes on and says, All things were created through him and for him. The very first line, it says, For by him all things were created. That gives us incredible value because you understand that the world tells us. And if you've been filtering through your value and your worth by the world standards, the world tells you that you are a cosmic accident. You are here by happenstance. No one really created you. You are a big cosmic accident. But according to this verse right here, it says that you were created by God. And through that, we see, it says, we are created, all things were created through Him. That's the next point down. It says, through Jesus. John chapter 1, verse number 3 says, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And we need to be reminded constantly that you've been given a plan. God created you with a plan. It's kind of like, guess what? You're not a cosmic accident. It doesn't matter what the world tells you. You were created with a plan because it says that all things were created through Jesus Christ. That passage continues on and it says that we were created through him and it gives us not just a plan but also a purpose because we were created for him, as that verse says. You have a God-given purpose because you were created for Jesus. As it says in John chapter number 1 verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So why were we created? But of God. We were created for Jesus Christ. So we see in these verses that Jesus Christ creating you totally goes against the philosophy of this world and it tells you and me that you were created with a purpose and you were created with a plan and it wasn't your plan and it wasn't even your parents' plan. 
It was God's plan and God's purpose. That gives you incredible value. And I can guarantee if you turn on the TV or even the radio today, you will hear the philosophy of we are all a basic cosmic accident. And we can filter through your new creation through, well, I'm a new creation in Christ, but somehow I'm also a cosmic accident. You can see the importance here of getting this foundation correct. Because if we're constantly questioning God's purpose and God's plan for us, and we're constantly questioning, are we an accident? It's very hard to move forward in our relationship with God. So first we see that Jesus is creator. Second, we see that Jesus is sustainer. As I wrote that out, my computer came out and put a little line underneath that and says, that's not the best word to use. But I like the word sustainer because the word sustainer tells us that he's constantly every single moment of every single day and not for a millisecond of all time has he ever not been the continual sustainer of you and I. As it says in verse number 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And you remember that word all means? All things. And you are one of those things that he is holding together. And he is holding you and I together. He's holding our universe together. Sometimes throughout the Bible, they didn't have in ancient Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic the word wow. But sometimes through the Bible, we can see the word wow written out. Like in Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, it says, How precious are your thoughts for me, O God. That's an ancient way of saying, wow, God. How vast the sum of them. If I were to count them, there would be more than the sand. And just the thoughts that Jesus and God has about you and me, the scripture says, are more than the sand. And in the past, we've talked about various things of how many grains of sand are on the world. And I find this sort of study quite remarkable. Because it makes me sound very intelligent when I can say things like there are estimated 7.5 sextillion grains of sand on all the beaches of all the world. Doesn't that make you sound incredibly intelligent? 75 with 17 zeros afterward are how many grains of sand. And I think the Western Australia and probably the back of your car has uh, many of them. And then I started doing some research about, about sand and about the stars. And these numbers are not numbers that I can even understand. When we, understand, we recognize that every grain of sand is known by God and held together by God. And then we look at how many stars and there's an estimated one septillion which is a number that I don't even understand, but it's one with 24 zeros. So there are more stars in the, in, the, in the viewable universe than there are grains of sand upon every beach. So when your mother says, there's so much sand in here, you could just correct her and say, but there's more stars. And something I was researching and thinking about, I wonder how many atoms 
are in every grain of sand. Now, granted, this is an estimated number because no one's counted them. But in every single grain of sand, there are atoms that form you and me. But every single grain of sand, there are an estimated 50 quintillion, which is 50 with 19 zeros following it, atoms in every single grain of sand. And when you read the Bible and it says, and in him all things hold together. That's a remarkable statement that's made there. So often we limit our mindset of God and saying God holds all things together because he holds my finances together or because he holds my health together or because he kept me safe on a trip. And those things are absolutely tremendous. But not only is God worried about the big things in your life, he also understands and knows the tiniest little atoms holding together in a galaxy billions of light years away. And we stop and think, how big is this universe? I have a little video to help us understand that. Finally, we pointed the Hubble telescope at what at first appeared to be a very dark and ordinary patch of the night sky. If you imagine holding up your finger with a grain of sand on it and looking at the patch of sky that grain of sand blocks out, that's the field that the telescope zoomed in onto. And what the telescope saw was incredible. Every single speck of light in this photo is a galaxy. 10,000 galaxies in a patch of sky the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length. If this tiny patch of sky is like every other, then we can calculate how many galaxies are out there. The visible universe contains around 100 billion galaxies. Each one of those galaxies contains around about 100 billion stars. That means the visible universe contains something like 10,000 million, million, million stars. That means there are more stars in the visible universe than there are grains of sand on the Earth. So we've said the universe is big. I'm going to try and give you some idea how big. Imagine the Earth as a grain of sand. If that was the case, then our solar system out to the orbit of the planet Neptune would be as big as Durham Cathedral. So now let's imagine we take our solar system and we shrink it down to the size of this grain of sand. Then our galaxy, the Milky Way, would be a thousand times bigger than this cathedral. So now we take the Milky Way galaxy and shrink it down to the size of the grain of sand. The cathedral would be the entire visible universe. The universe is big. It's really big. Psalm 8 gives us, I believe, a very correct response to the vastness of God in understanding that he holds all the things of the universe together right down to the atomic level, holding it all together. And Psalm 8 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, I want you to personalize this. What is man? Put your own name in there that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man, that you care for him. And the response is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, that's another wow statement, is your name in all the earth. So Jesus is our creator. Jesus is our sustainer. 
He hasn't left us by ourselves and say, okay, I created, I sustained the universe, now you go and work it out for yourself. He's also the leader, and that's our third point today. Jesus is the leader right down to our local church. He is the head of our church. The pastor, which is my my position, is simply a shepherd of the church. But I am not the leader of the church. Jesus Christ is the leader of our church. And it says in verse number 18, And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus has not left us alone. The scripture says in John chapter number 1, verse 4, And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And when Jesus left earth after his death and resurrection and he ascended up into heaven, he told his disciples, It's a good thing I'm leaving because when I leave, well, my Father is going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And the Bible promises where two or three are gathered in his name, he is here in our very presence. Jesus is the answer to the question, the God. On the other side of that is, what is the goal? We can, we can appreciate that, and I can admit that none of us fully comprehend anything that I've talked about today. And as science continues to grow and to develop, it causes us to say, wow. But also as science grows and develops, it turns people further away from the things of God. So our, our point was, the God is Jesus, but also a second point is, the goal is also Jesus. There's a battle that's going on in every single one of your lives and my life. The battle is, is Jesus really going to be the goal of my life? There's a very intelligent man who's very eloquent, and in fact, I enjoy his, his videos a man named Neil deGrasse Tyson. And you may recognize his picture. And he's an astrophysicist, and he explains things incredibly clearly. And he can watch YouTube videos, and he has different documentaries, written a number of books. He's a very intellectual man. And he was asked the question recently of, as a scientist, do you believe in God? And I'm going to quote from him here. Every description, this is, Neil deGrasse Tyson saying this. Every description of God that I've heard holds God to be all-powerful and all-good. And then I look around and see, and I see earthquakes, tornadoes, and disease, childhood leukemia. I see all of this and say, I do not see evidence of both of those being true simultaneously. If there is a God... The God is either not all-powerful or not all-good. I am evidence-driven more than faith-driven. I would propose to you that as, as a nice of a man as Dr. Tyson is, he is a man of faith. He's placing his faith in himself. And I emphasize as I read through his quote the word I, I, I. And this is a, not a modern philosophy that he is thinking through here. And I have a great deal of respect for him, and I hope he comes to know Christ as his Savior. That would be a wonderful thing to see. And I, I actually spent time in prayer for him this week. Because 2,000 years ago, in Colossae, 
They were struggling through the same thing of Gnosticism, thinking everything was in and through them. And if everything is in and through me, the way that I see things must be true. And that takes a great deal of faith. Dr. Tyson also believes in what's called the multiverse. And as soon as I say the multiverse, all the teenage boys go, ooh, Marvel. It's not from Marvel. It's not from comic books. It's from science. And the philosophy of that is there are multiple, in fact, an innumerable number of universes where there is an innumerable number of you in every other way of you could possibly be across the universe. And this man who refuses to believe in God, being all-powerful and all-good, believes in the multiverse where there is an unlimited number of him doing everything. So in some world, in some universe, I have bright red hair like a clown. And, I, I, and there's other universes where I am a woman. Not this universe. And there's always other universes where we're all these various things. And this man believes this by faith. The goal when we deny Jesus, the goal becomes us and what I believe. In Colossians chapter number 1, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says, In everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Apostle Paul was confronting this false teaching head on by replacing their philosophy with their Savior, Jesus Christ. And the key word is the word preeminent. That right there is the key to this entire series. The word preeminent literally means surpassing all others. And here the goal is stated that in everything that he might be preeminent. The goal for your life and my life. He paid it all, he made it all, is that he will be preeminent. In a moment, I'm going to ask you a question that I want you to mull over for yourself, and no one can answer this but you. And the question is, is Jesus preeminent in your life? We can answer that question really quickly and go, yes, of course he is. I want you to pause for a moment and think about that because so often we compare ourselves to someone else and we go, well, he's preeminent in my life compared to that person. Or Jesus surpasses all others some of the time. And we have the temptation to make Jesus prominent in our life, but not preeminent in our life. And I propose to you that if Jesus really is the creator and sustainer and the leader in our universe and in your life as individuals, then therefore he deserves to be preeminent in our lives. That changes the way we view everything. That changes the way we view service. No longer are we serving begrudgingly because someone's got to do it. And there's certain jobs that no one enjoys doing, but they get done. 
It changes because now we're serving the preeminent God. Look what I get to do for my creator of the universe who's holding me together, who's known me from the very beginning of time, given me a plan and given me a purpose. Now I get to serve in the small, seemingly little things and the big things in front of others. Is Jesus preeminent in our service? Is Jesus preeminent in our relationships? The way we interact with others, it's so easy to respond and say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way that I talk to people. Are we filtering it through, is Jesus preeminent? Are we putting him first? Because that's the goal, that in everything he might be preeminent. And that word everything is that same Greek word pas, which is all, everything, all whole. The result of this, when we live this out, isn't an easy life. But the end of this passage, the Apostle Paul says in verse number 20, he talks about peace. Making peace by the blood of his cross. I want you to listen to this whole statement that I'm going to make here. And the statement is this. Jesus Christ, and I believe the plan and purpose of Jesus Christ is that you will have peace in this life. And if you stop right there, you go, fantastic, we're going to be peace and rich and everything's going to be smooth and easy. That's not what I said. As we continue on, we begin thinking about the Apostle Paul and himself and his own life. He had peace by the blood of Jesus' cross, but he did not have an easy life. But what we find here is something wonderful. God wants you to experience peace every day. But that's not the peace as the world describes it with no problems and no issues. This is the peace with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher from the 1800s, says this, I have never heard a dying believer regret that he was a Christian. In the book of Philippians, chapter number 4, verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can experience peace because we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our circumstances may be horrible, but we can still experience peace. So as you go out this week, you're going to be challenged with your purpose and your plan. I want you to remind yourself with a simple phrase, I'm a new creation. And then begin filtering through the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Is he surpassing all else and all others? Because when we do that, we will experience the wonderful peace of God in our lives.